Hello everyone, welcome back, or welcome to Passing Dimes. This is going to be a great episode. This is a guy we've wanted on the show for a while now. Uh, maybe it was best we waited till this long because we get to hear about his fantastic summer. So I'm really excited to talk to our guest this week. He was a member of Team Canada's National B program this summer, where they took the bronze medal at the Nursica Champions Cup. He won Best Digger and Best Receiver for that tournament. He's also represented Canada at the Pan Am Cup, Thisu Games, the Junior National Team, is a graduate of the Brandon University Bobcats, and he also played overseas most recently in Finland. So please welcome to the show, Jeremy Davies. Welcome. Right on. Thanks for having me. So let's let's get people up to speed, I guess. We'll, we'll touch on Europe uh, as we circle back, but let's take it from the start of the summer. You went straight from your European club to Gatineau, is that correct? Yeah. Uh, that's where my wife and I were living in the summer there. So yeah, we went straight from Finland. And then I think we had about a week in Calgary just to visit family. And then, yeah, just out to Gatineau. So what's it like at the center? Kind of paint a picture for what the what the mood is. Because you got to go with the FTC guys before the actual B-team tryouts, right? Right, yeah. I was with the FTC group there for about two weeks. And, yeah, FTC is a grind. Or I guess it's NEP now with Dan Lewis taking it over. Sorry, yes, thank you. Um, but yeah, it's a grind. Those guys are working hard. Dan Lewis is an incredible coach and he really gets the most out of, your, out of his athletes. And yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty cool, unique, uh, community that they have over there. So when you arrived, was it two days? Was it one practice a day plus weights? Like what is the schedule for some of those guys who don't have a pro contract, but are working towards it? Yeah. So typically at uh, NAP, they work out three mornings, so like a Monday, Wednesday, Friday morning, and then it's two days um, every day. So Monday is a morning session with weights and skills, and then an, an afternoon, more of like a competition style thing. And then Tuesdays usually wait uh, just skills in the morning, and then kind of like wash and games in the afternoon and then yeah so monday wednesday and fridays are pretty similar and then tuesday thursday they're just two heavy days nice so you got to experience that before the tryout did the mood kind of change at tryouts as when people start rolling in and spots are on the line and, and kind of the rest of the summer dictates you making the team is this kind of change the environment a little bit yeah well actually this summer i didn't have to try out um i was already selected for the b team and I knew that when I showed up in Gatineau, I had previously talked to Glenn and Dan that I um, it wasn't necessary for me to try out. So that was a big weight off my shoulder. But yeah, definitely being just in the gym and like training in that kind of environment sets you up for a trial. Um, like for my junior team there, just a fresh fresh uh, kid coming from my first year of university entering that that gym it's pretty intimidating and um but then for my b team experience first summer um and trying out and being with the ftc group there like knowing kind of how everything works what the gym is like feeling um feeling the floor even like just small details like that just really 
helps you as an individual. Now, with Glenn kind of overseeing the whole program, even though he doesn't coach every team, does every tryout feel the same? Like when you went for junior national team, like you said, versus B team, or even uh, FISU games, is the Team Canada tryout pretty similar how it's done? Yeah, for the most part, they have a similar structure. Um, yeah, this year, I think it was just Dan Lewis that ran the, the whole tryout, but yeah, Glenn's, of course, in his ear telling him what kind of drills to do, what to look for, and all that, yeah. So, I, I guess, yeah, you didn't have maybe the pressure of a tryout, but some of the other guys did. And then once the team's announced, what was your schedule like as a National B guy? Like, uh, how many times did you guys train? What were some of your competitions that you knew about? Uh, just take us from kind of the tryout on what the rest of your summer looked like. Yeah, the schedule is pretty similar to, like, an NEP. You're practicing 10 times a week, two days from Monday to Friday, typically working out two or three times a week. And the start of the summer, there's not too many competitions that are uh, right away. So it's pretty intense and a lot of uh, loading and kind of lots of weight training just to get the bodies kind of prepared for a long summer. Now, with the B team, were you guys training with the senior A guys who also had a busy schedule? Or would you train with the junior national team? Like with everybody centralized in Gatineau, how much uh, crossing pass is there? Or is everybody kind of on their own? Uh, this summer, <clears throat> sorry, uh, the A team was, yeah, they were in and out of the gym all the time, so we didn't really cross paths too, too much with them, but the junior team, as well as the B team, had a pretty similar, uh, schedule for the summer, so we were off in, in the gym together. So, the layout of the gym there, there's about three courts going on, and yeah, normally we had one or two courts, and then the junior team would have one court. And I think maybe we scrimmaged the junior team two or three times throughout the summer. Nice. And was your first competition the Pan American Cup? Was that the first one the, the B team got to go to? Uh, the one in Mexico. I believe so. You guys took a seventh of that one? Yeah. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was our first tournament. And kind of what were the expectations going into that tournament, or what was maybe the level of, of a Pan Am Cup? How, how good are the other inter international squads there? Oh, really good, yeah. Uh, the level was quite high. We were actually in a tough pool with Argentina and Cuba. And, yeah, those are some of the strongest groups uh, in that tournament. So between the three of us, you had to finish top two to kind of get out of your pool. Unfortunately, we lost to both of them. Uh, so then we were kind of knocked down to the consolation side. And then we, I believe we won out after that. Nice. So in your experience coming off of a pro indoor season, um, what's different about the national team? Does everybody kind of crank it up because they're, they're together again? Or was your level in Europe so high that you kind of just continued playing on a super high level kind of year round? Right. Uh, well, yeah, Finland's got definitely a very good league um it's not quite the same level as a national team i would say um the national teams like everybody's in the gym like full-time professional model player whereas overseas sometimes you get uh players who are still in school and volleyball is not their main focus like they're 
unable to make it to half of the trainings due to a scheduling of classes or work. Um, so Finland has that kind of, I don't know how to say it, structure, I guess. Not the, the full team isn't professional. So there's a lot of like part-time professional players. But then you get to Canada and it's all your buddies. You've probably played with them in U-Sports or CCAA or you know of them somehow. So then there's good friendly competition and everybody's just trying to push each other to be a little better. Yeah, that's all. The national team atmosphere is incredible. Nice, nice. So your next competition, I understand, was the uh, Champions Cup, and that's the one that was hosted in Denver, right? Yeah, in Colorado Springs there. Oh, excuse me, yes, Colorado Springs. Um, what was that event like? Obviously, you won Best Digger and Best Receiver, so you personally had a great tournament, and the team medaled. So what was kind of the mood at that tournament? It was a little bit smaller than Pan Am Cup, right? Yeah, there was only the four teams. So it was ourselves, USA, Cuba, and Puerto Rico, and yeah, we had a tough first match against Cuba and lost in five, and that was kind of heartbreaking, and then we had to play Puerto Rico, which was a a, weak, a much weaker team compared to Cuba, and we ended up getting, getting kicked by them, so that, that hurt, and then uh, we played USA on the final day, beat them in four, but the, just the way that the sets all worked out, uh, Puerto Rico never, didn't win any other matches, so we finished ahead of them and snuck out the third place, and then, yeah, I was fortunate enough to be awarded, I think it was best digger and best libero, I don't think I, I managed to get the best receiver award, but yeah, a couple individual awards, and that was... Uh, Elite Volley Agency needs to update your page then. That's where I was stealing that information. So I'll have yeah. to replace receiver for libero. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, but at the, at the start of the summer, I know everyone was pretty keen on trying to play in that tournament. We didn't, we weren't informed until maybe a couple weeks before that we were the team that was going to be representing Canada. Uh, we thought maybe that they would send the, the A squad. But then once the B team heard that we were going, everyone was pumped, and yeah, everybody, everybody really wanted to end the summer on a high note, and the fact that we were able to beat the USA in the last match and grab third place and get a medal was a pretty cool feeling. So was it disappointing for the men's program not to be at Pan Am Games, or because this, the senior guys had a lot of competitions this summer? You guys had some high-level tournaments. Was it just maybe not on the cards based on the schedule and what everybody was up to? Like, even the junior national team went to Worlds, right? So, and they had an Orsiga tournament. Like, missing Pan Am, it, it seems like a big deal, but looking at your schedule, it looks like everybody's still got international experience this year, right? Yeah, I'm not really sure what uh, the whole mindset of the Pan Am Games was for the national team, but, yeah, I think just the already dense schedule that everybody had um, that was just one of the competitions that they were okay with missing out on. Nice. So I think that kind of covers the summer. Let's let's circle back a little bit. So you grew up in Calgary. You end up going to Brandon. 
at what point in your life did you know you wanted to be a professional volleyball player? Like, was this something that you wanted to pursue as a youngster? Did it kind of university confirm it for you? Like, when did you start to really connect the dots and then go kind of climb the ladder with junior national team, FISU, and, and senior B team, senior A? Like, when did it kind of all take off for you? Um, yeah, well, all the way back into 18U in Calgary, um, I wasn't really sure about playing college. Or, like, I knew I wanted to play college. I didn't think I was good enough to play university. And then I had a pretty amazing conversation with Rod Walsh. And he basically said, like, no, you got to go. Like, you're definitely capable of that level. Um, push yourself. Like, get the grades you got to get to get into university. And um, it'll be great after that. So then got to Brandon. Had first year was able to win Canada's champs and then we came third at nationals and then met Dave Preston there and he mentioned the junior team and being involved with that kind of was another eye-opening experience of just that experiencing that next level past university and then playing the rest of my time at Brandon was an unreal opportunity and then once I started seeing a bunch of buddies go overseas and having the time of their lives and just raving about it I thought maybe maybe that'd be in the cards for me kind of was able to be seen with the B team there and I knew that I was capable of making it over over in Europe and um, my connections of buddies overseas that's how I really was able to make that next step so we always being an Ontario based host uh, we always kind of ask the Can West guys like how strong is your league because I think Can West has a strong reputation and it's well earned based on how many youth sports medals that, that you guys are pumping out is that where you really kind of developed as a player first just because every weekend you're playing good teams playing good competition they're able to scout and kind of reassess after game one because you guys are playing double headers the whole year like just give us a glimpse of kind of how you improved as a player just by the strength of your league and kind of the way it's structured. Yeah, for sure. Canada West is, like, we always told ourselves if we're not ready to go, like, we can lose. Every team is capable of beating any team. Uh, even the teams that are sometimes at the bottom, like, if you don't show up for your match, you will lose. It's as simple as that. So kind of going in with the mindset of you better be ready to play tonight or... It's not going to end well. Um, yeah, Canada S is such a strong league. and Our team, when I first got there, was full of uh, internationals. And that's basically when I did all my developing as a player, I feel. is just players coaching players and players influencing each other and just so many role models on the team. Of course, we had great coaches. Don't get me wrong there, but and a lot of the players did a lot of the coaching and just walked us through how the league was ran and to prepare yourself best. In your opinion, how does BU get these internationals? Because let's say I'm from Australia or New Zealand. I'm not sure I know where Manitoba is on a map, let alone what like Brandon University is, right? So what is the pipeline or the connection there that, that they want to come over? Well, don't you know, Brandon's beautiful. <laughs> right? Nice and hot. No. <laughs> Uh, Brandon, Brandon 
it's just the community. The community here is incredible. Um, yeah, the Australian connection, once we got the first couple guys over, and they turned out to be incredible players and still playing, like Paul Sanderson over in Australia, Luke Reynolds, who's coaching in Poland right now. So then once we got the first couple Australians here, then you know, it's just connections, I swear. Um, and then we got a good group from Switzerland. Sebastian Stegmaier was here. And now we have another new Swiss that's taken over the league, Robin. Yeah, so I don't know how they get these internationals, but they they two wonders for our team. With the junior national team going in, and you mentioned Dave Preston, uh, who else was on that squad? Was Danny Dominico and a few other guys who are still around the program on that, that team? Yeah, you bet. It was Danny, uh, Riley Barnes was there, Stephen Marr, Brett Wald. Oh, no. Oh, sorry. Not that much. Yeah, we were loaded. We had a lot of good guys and still a lot of guys that are in the program. And yeah, Dave, give credit to Dave does anything stand out in your mind going into your first international competition that kind of was like a wow moment that, that there is another level and there's some very good teams internationally that you just, again, after your development in Can West, you were getting better and improving, but there was you kind of saw there's still another level? Yeah, for sure. Going to nationals in my first year there, I thought, okay, this is pretty high competition. And even our first competition for the junior team, we went to Turkey. And just seeing the international level out there was pretty eye-opening. And we stayed at we actually stayed at Glen Hogue's professional team, and seeing their gym and they have uh, rooms and a cafeteria in their gym like it's quite the quite the setup. Do you do you recall your performance at that tournament? Like how how did the team do? How did you guys do? It kind of your your first big taste of international volleyball. Uh, yeah, we did okay. I think uh, we were obviously hoping to do better. I think we got 11th or 13th or something like that. But for a bunch of younger guys, it was uh, more of a learning experience, for sure. And yeah, you can always do better. If you're not winning, you can always do better. Yeah, for sure. So your next uh, international competition would have been FISU Games. Who was on that squad? Like, who was your coach, and who were some of the other guys around? Um, who is my coach? James Gravel from Windsor. And there's, like, Cameron Brand was all there. So that would have been Lucas Coleman's year? Was he there? And uh... Yeah, Lucas Coleman, Irvin Brar, uh, Warren Taylor, who's now over in Czech Republic, um, Johnny Moat. Who's playing in Germany? Nice. And what was that experience like? Uh, who hosted that year, Fisu? Uh, Taipei. Yeah, in Taiwan. Um, so whenever you're playing an Asian country, you know it's blown up. It's quite the all the fans are always screaming, and you're just the biggest celebrities at the time. And yeah, they treat us like gold. They. They did anything for us that we needed. We were taken care of. Oh, yeah. And Gabriel Chancy and Sebastian Lethbridge were, were dynamite setters over there. Yeah, it was just a great group of guys. So even though it's a multi-sport games, was, like you said, they're, they're pretty volleyball crazy. Was that the main 
attraction at those games? I don't know if it's the main attraction, but yeah, they they definitely followed us. And Canadians are Canadians are always seen as uh, great people when you go overseas. Like our country is so well respected. And, yeah, it was you know, a wicked opportunity. So, because it was multi-sport, did it feel different from some of your other high-level experience when it was just kind of volleyball and you and you get into your routine, you get on the bus, you go to the venue, like having other athletes around, did that kind of change the mood a little bit? It did, yeah. First time kind of staying in an Olympic village, and we didn't get to train as a team too much before that, so that kind of uh, didn't set us up very well. But yeah, just being around so many other athletes from Canada, it was it was a great time. Yeah, and also like Pierce Johnson was on the team, and Stephen Wood, he played out in OUA. Yeah, I think I think uh, you're right. James was the coach, but uh, Nipissine's coach was also there. Yeah. So I think there was a strong strong yeah. connection of a. Uh, yeah, I think Eric had th- maybe two or three Nipissing guys that were there, and there, there was kind of a nice mix of guys on the squad that year. Yeah, for sure. Nice. So you kind of hinted at earlier that you, you saw guys who you played with in CIS and U Sports that took the took the trip and played professional volleyball, and that kind of confirmed that you could do it. What is the actual process? Because myself included, but some of the listeners of the show, we, we know what professional volleyball is, but... We don't know how you get an agent, how you get discovered, how you end up, and what league you end up. Like, what what was the process? Did you kind of lean on your coaches and, and alumni of the program to kind of put you in touch, or what what kind of started the process to get you over there? Uh, yeah, kind of all of the above. So it's a little different for, I guess, all positions. And right now at nationals, like Canada, or sorry, U Sport Nationals is seen as a pretty good feeder program to overseas so there's a decent amount of uh, professional agents that come and even watch those national final games and those agents will normally contact you or sometimes contact you but if not then you kind of will have to work yourself and I know for myself trying to find my first contract I I found the leagues that I wanted to go to, so there was about seven or eight leagues that I really wanted to be a part of. So I would go on their kind of league homepage and then find all the teams and then look at all the teams that I wanted to possibly play on. And then I would find their manager's email, their coach's email, and I think I fired off maybe about 45 emails. 45 plus emails that summer just trying to get in some kind of contact with with the club and sending them video sending them my kind of my volleyball resume and then on top of that every connection I had overseas was just like my friends uh, previous coaches just asking them to ask their club if they have any openings if they uh, know of any libero opportunities that could be open. So, yeah, I guess kind of you're just trying to get in contact with as many people as possible. And for me, what ended up being 
greatest resource was just friends. Like, uh, I first got to Finland because Josh McKay and Casey Shouten and Danny Grant were all on the team. And their, uh, their libero was actually one of the better outsides. So they moved their libero to outside and then they had an opening for a libero. And these, these guys knew that I was at full-time training center. So then they contacted me and was like, Hey, uh, how about the stop training in Finland? Would this be any interest to you? And, and then Chris Voth also played the year before at that same club. And so he also kind of asked me like, Hey, uh, this club has an opening for a libero. Would you be interested? So I don't know. I think it's just all about reaching out to as many people as you can and anybody that has connections overseas. Like that would be my uh, kind of help to you for finding your first kind of contract. Now with you being a libero, um, is that in your opinion, you might be a little bit biased, but is that the hardest foreigner position to get just because some leagues have a limit on foreigners, and, and you might want to stereotype that if you're going to use a foreigner card, it better be somebody who's going to earn points and, and really show up on the score sheet where your position doesn't reflect that, right? So is that why it's so hard, or is it because there's so many skilled Europeans that they can find an outside they can transfer over, or maybe they have a libero that's ready to step in? Like, what makes your position so challenging? Yeah, I think that's that's right. The, the foreigner limit definitely hurts uh, the liberos that are trying to go overseas. And then clubs... Kind of folk, yeah, exactly. Like what you said, the clubs are looking for guys who are going to put up big numbers, who are going to score them points. And I have, like if I was building a club, I would have the exact same mindset as well. So if, uh, they fill their team with all the people that are going to get the points first, and then maybe they don't have room in their budget to bring in an international barrel or... They just think, uh, oh, there's some local guy here that can fill in, and he won't he won't hurt us too bad. So we'll just sign him rather than trying to bring over an international libero. So you get over there, and what is uh, Finland's foreigner rule? Um, you mentioned that you already had what three Canadians on the team. Were there other internationals on the squad? Maybe some Americans or people from other European countries? Yeah. So Finland doesn't actually have a foreigner limit. So yeah, there's the three Canadians, Josh, Casey, Danny, and then myself. And then we had two Americans as well. Yeah. And Finland being located where they are in the world, is everybody an English speaker or was there anybody in the room you couldn't really communicate with some of your teammates or was everybody pretty good? For the most part, everybody was really good, actually. I was surprised by that for sure. Um, in their public school system, they learn English basically throughout. And yeah, so everyone that was on our team spoke pretty good English. There's a couple, a couple of the older guys uh, were a little more difficult to speak to just because they had been out of school for so long and they hadn't really practiced the English language. So they kind of lost it over time, but no, Finland as a whole, they uh, 
Finland and I think Sweden is pretty similar. Their their English communication is really good. Nice. So you get over there, and what's your living situation like? Like, are you in a city, a town? Does the club find housing for you? Like, what's uh, just kind of the behind the scenes stuff of being a pro volleyball player in Europe? Yeah. So we, when I first got there, I was living on somebody's couch. One of the well, there was four of them in the house, and they hadn't found me residence for myself yet. So I was just sleeping on a couch in the hallway. And that was okay. That was, it wasn't ideal, but, you know, it was a place to rest my head. And I was over there with a bunch of buddies, so couldn't really complain there. But, yeah, typically the, uh, the club will find you some kind of housing, whether it's with a bunch of players or whether it's your own kind of living situation. Um, that, that would be all kind of in your contract and what you work out with them. And they normally set you up with some kind of living situation. You never really know until you get there. <laughs> nice. yeah, it could be good, could be could be bad. I've heard some tough stories of some players, but you know, Finland, they, they did good for us. And you must have made an impression, right? Because you did re-sign with the same club, so... Is getting the first contract the hardest part, and then you have some pro video, you've met some contacts, coaches have seen you. Like, what made you, did you just have such a good experience with your club that you resigned, or they really wanted you? Like, what went into staying with uh, the same group versus kind of rolling the dice and trying to go get a, a contract again? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the first contract, um, for sure, would be the most difficult, especially for a libero position. Um, and then, yeah, they treated me great. Um, all their management was really good. Their, their fans were so supportive. Uh, they took care of us real professionally. The town that we stayed in, um, it's actually the hometown of Santa Claus. So that's a, that's a fact for you. <laughs> Rovaniemi, Finland is the hometown of Santa Claus. It has a Santa Claus's international airport. Must have some sweet Christmas markets or something going on then, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And Santa Claus Village is right down the road. Yeah. Reindeer. There's reindeer just roaming the streets all the time. It's it's a pretty cool experience if you can ever get up to northern Finland. Nice. Um, so with you, obviously, going overseas, did your wife kind of stay with you or did family visit? Like, what's it like being alone? You mentioned you have teammates that you know, but... Um, when you go overseas, is that kind of it for seeing your family for the year, or would they come visit? Because you wouldn't really get a holiday break where you could come back, right? Right, yeah. Um, so the first year when I went over, I went over in January. So I was at FTC from September until January, and my wife was with me over in Gatineau. And then I went over to Rovaniemi, Finland, by myself for the month period there and then my second year of being over there my wife joined me and so that was that was really nice it's definitely definitely better having someone there with you Um, sometimes it can be kind of lonely and the grind is tough especially Rovaniemi Finland is uh, more north than Yellowknife oh wow so so you always hear of people in Yellowknife saying that 
oh, we only have an hour of daylight today, kind of thing. Like, the depression is real. Well, yeah, in Rovaniemi for most of November, all of December, all of January, you're getting, you're lucky if you're getting an hour of sunlight, an hour or two of sunlight. Wow, and do you know just ballpark, like, what the population is? Like, how many people live there? Uh, it was a, a good-sized town, so I would say maybe about 50,000. And would you get good turnout to matches, or did you have to kind of be in CEV Champions Cup to kind of have an audience? Yeah, our, our games are maybe getting about 500 or so people. Um, and then as you go down to Helsinki, where there's more consistently strong teams, and those those games would be closer to... 700 to maybe a thousand and then yeah playing those cv uh challenge cup games over in france or that that stadium is packed and maybe a few thousand uh so again my, myself and the listeners we we know of these things but we don't always know how they happen so with your league how would you qualify for a cv like would you have to be a certain spot in the standings to qualify or how does that process work for you guys yeah so uh, the CV, there's a few different levels. Um, CV is the top one. And then there's a CV Cup, which is the second kind of rank. And then the CV Challenge Cup is the third level. And each country, depending on how they do the year before, um, that's how many spots they get in each tournament. So Finland, uh, the top team was in the top league, in the top CV league. And then they normally had the second and third team in the CV Cup, which is the second league, or second tournament. And then they normally had one or two in the Challenge Cup, which is the third level there. But then, like, in Russia... There's normally about three or so in that top division. and So it all kind of depends on how strong your league is overall. And then based on how the teams do in the seed. Now, would this follow like um, a European soccer model where you guys would play a home-and-home and figure out who advances? Or what was the format? Because you mentioned you played a team from France, right? Was that just a one-and-done match? Or did they have to play a home-and-away with you guys? Uh, so yeah, it's a home-and-away and then if you win, then you move on, on to the next uh, next competitor. So we started off in Bulgaria. We played a team in Bulgaria the first round. And so we went to Bulgaria first, and we won there. And then they came maybe about two weeks later and played in Finland. And then we beat them there. And then it's whoever wins that moves on. So when we moved on and played Poitiers in France, and then they they beat us both in France and in Finland. So when we, were, we were knocked out there. Nice. Still still a good run and a probably a good experience for you being, uh, again, a foreigner to kind of see what a CEV feels like. Yeah, yeah. And tons of like great memories in Bulgaria and France. Yeah. Just good times with the teams and unique kind of playing experiences like going to going to bulgaria and whatever 
there's snow outside because it's like January. And then you enter the gym, and the gym is about 16 degrees Celsius. <laughs> and they have two two heaters just on the floor, blowing out the hottest air possible. But you're like obviously the heaters aren't on the court. So when you once you get far enough away from the heaters, and you're just freezing. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's. <laughs> I'll never forget that. That was definitely one of the experiences I'll I'll remember about my professional days. It's just funny hearing what some leagues tolerate because let's use that example. If that happened at a U Sports Championship, they probably would cancel the match or figure out a solution, right? Where their solution was, well, we'll just turn on these heaters, even though if you're at the net, you can't feel it, but the heater's on. Yeah, yeah, no chance that gets around in Canada. <laughs> yeah. To them, that was their typical thing. Like That's just their norm over there. In some places, it's, it's hilarious. Uh, I do want to circle back just for one question. Maybe some of our listeners are, are asking. You mentioned uh, you were sending video to a lot of teams. Did you make your own video? Uh, what goes into it? Like if we have a young listener who, who wants to make video and either they want to send it overseas or maybe they want to send it to a, a post-secondary coach, um, how long are your videos? What clips are you doing? Do you think coaches on the other end know it's a highlight video, so it's heavily edited? Like what are some of the key things that you do uh, to get noticed with your video? So first off, I I made my own video just through I think like Windows Movie Maker or something like that, some free program. But I know uh, my second video that I made, uh, I mentioned Chris Voth earlier. He has kind of a, a side business that he runs, and he clips videos and he will make your video for you. Um, so his his Instagram actually is Volley Video. He's based out of Winnipeg, and basically you just send him your unclipped video and tell him kind of what you want, and he'll do it all for you. He doesn't charge you much because he enjoys doing it. And then he sends you back your video and puts music to it and all that. But yeah, normally, normally you just have... Sometimes it's about five minutes long or so, depending on how uh, how much you have. But just highlight your hot things. Like as a libero, I had a spin receive passing, uh, float serve passing, uh, defense, and setting, I believe, were my main components. And then obviously for an attacker, you're going to have attacking, blocking, serving. Normally, when you're sending these to the clubs and coaches, you have a brief highlight video of about five minutes, and then you're also sending whole matches, matches that you played, you had the best match of your life or something like that. You know, just that, so they get to see you in a full match uh, scenario, see how you deal at certain points in the game. Um, yeah, so that's kind of the the video aspect of it. But yeah, definitely definitely hit up Chris Voth. And if you need me to send you his email, I can do that. We can post it on the podcast or something like that. Yeah, definitely. We'll, we'll definitely include that in the show notes. Uh, so thanks for sharing that. Uh, we, we have taken a lot of your time here, but I, I can't let you get out of it without this one because we love a good 
European volleyball story or even some university ones. So if you've ever listened to an episode, Dallas and I always like to end with just a unique volleyball experience where either something funny happened or something weird, or you're kind of like, wow, I'm a professional athlete. I can't believe these shenanigans are happening. So do you have any unique experiences from the road that you can kind of give us a laugh before we let you go? Yeah, I can, I can think of a couple, like I said, the Bulgarian gym there being whatever, 14 degrees and you're freezing your nips off. But, <laughs> uh, in Finland, we, our team has a, a, a nice bus, a nice bus. And I, Kind of mean that, but not actually. They call it the silver bullet, silver bullet, and it's broken up in three sections. Like there's the normal chairs that you have on a bus, and then the middle section has beds. So just it's like a big, um, big mat, and then there's a couple of raised up beds, and then they took out the bathroom and they put in a couple of chairs. And then TV, so the guys are always just playing PS4 in the back, just playing NHL 2018, just having a time. But yeah, that bus also comes with a lot of problems and always breaking down. And Finnish people are pretty, pretty stubborn people. So <laughs> the same kind of thing, like our bus would break down all the time, but. And in Canada, like, you'd have to go to, shop, go to the shop, like, you wouldn't be able to drive it kind of thing. But there, they just find some temporary solution, fix it up, and then you're good to go. Like, we were driving in a snowstorm there in my last year. Uh, our the electronics for the window wipers weren't working. So then they had made this, they attached a string through the driver's window <laughs> to cliff onto the uh, the windshield wiper and then the driver was pulling the string to manually operate the windshield wiper. <laughs> and, like, and yeah, we're doing this at four in the morning, like pitch black, just the sketchiest drive. So I'm just in the back playing PS4 just praying that nothing's going to happen here. <laughs> or like, it would just break down every once in a while and you'd be trying to have a nap on the bus and then you'd be woken up by being in the in the shop because your bus all of a sudden stopped working and they had to tow the bus into the mechanic shop. Like, yeah, that bus sounded like a incredible like feature for the club, but problems that it brought along was, yeah, was something else. Well, you mentioned how far north you guys were. What would be a bus trip, like one of your further ones? Like, how long would you be on this thing for? Uh, yeah, our closest our closest team to us was three hours away. And then everyone else was about nine to 12 hours. Holy. And we'd, yeah, we'd do the bus, bus every time. So we'd normally, like Helsinki is about 12 hours from us. So we would go down to Helsinki and we'd play like three games in five days just to get rather than going back and forth, back and forth. So those those trips were definitely definitely a grind. But then it's kind of nice playing at home because everybody else has to do that drive and they all hate doing it. They're already coming off the bus all sour. We're happy. 
Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. That adds another experience to the list where, you know, being a pro athlete can be glamorous, but there's also some unique experience that kind of come with it. So that's, that's definitely one of the better ones we've heard. Um, I do want to touch on, I just want to say uh, congratulations. I understand you're finishing your education. So you're back at Brandon, uh, doing your, you're finishing your, your teaching degree, right? And you're kind of giving back and coaching a little bit too. So you got a lot on the go. Yeah. Yeah. Finishing my education degree and then just helping out with the BU men's team here and hopefully have a, another strong season. Nice. How's the group looking like? Do you enjoy kind of giving back even though you're kind of still in the grind of being a player? Does coaching kind of break that up and kind of help you with guys who are learning and eager and really want to go for it? Yeah. And Brandon has an amazing group here. The guys are all real good. The vets especially have uh, really come along. Like I've played with most of them in my fourth and fifth years. So I'm coming back to BU and seeing how they've developed. It's, it's incredible. They've, they've really put in all the hard work, and it's paying off for them. Awesome. Yeah, so our fans can give that a look. Has, has Can West started, or is it last week? It would have been the very first weekend, right? Yeah. Uh, this Friday, Saturday was the first weekend. Nice. So the, the grind starts. You guys play about a 20-game schedule or something close to 18? Yeah, I think it's about 20, 22, I think. Oh, okay, so yeah, you're going to be busy the rest of the way, it sounds like. Yeah, but it's, it's a good busy. Yeah, definitely. So uh, I think we've taken enough of your time. Thanks for sharing your story. Obviously, I, I think you're an easy guy to root for just because of all the work you've put into and such an easy, accessible guy. You're willing to share your journey and everything that went into it. So we, we definitely appreciate your time, and thanks for coming on the show. You bet. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, this was great. So yeah, enjoy the rest of your year. Hopefully some fans can get out and see a BU game and root you guys on. Yeah, you bet. Awesome. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Jeremy.